What's going on? Eh? Vree? Buddy? You've got the card board coaches here with your boy, Coach Co. We've actually got a special guest on here today. Uh, he is taking the place of the cartel. The cartel is going through birthday festivities. So if you get a chance, please wish him a happy birthday. He would love nothing more. But in his place today, we have Mr. Carlos, a.k.a. Sluggers55 on Instagram. If you're not already following him, you probably should be because of the, the crazy amount of cards that he posts on a regular basis. Carlos, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Brendan. Thank you for thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Um, I think that you can provide a ton of uh, background uh, to the sports card space, whether you know we have old collectors that listen or new collectors that listen. Uh, just because you've been in the space for so damn long, and I don't, I don't mean to to age you by saying that, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you just yeah. so just for reference, Carlos, how long have you been not only collecting, but like I mean, because a lot of people say they've been collecting, you know, their whole lives. Um, but how long have you been, let's say, just attending sports card shows? We're gonna narrow it down to that. Wow. I'm going to say for the better part of 34 years, 33 years, maybe. That's wild. Yeah. Right, what, right around right around that period of time. And so where does the the, the, the card story start? Actually, first of all, let, let's give you the floor to kind of just, you know, what, what you're all about. Um, you know, what do you specialize in? Go for it. So um, I, what I'll do is I'll tell you a little bit about how I got started. Yeah. And I'll tell you the space that I'm in. So um, how I got started, I would say the first cards I ever bought were 1977 Tops Star Wars. Nice. Star so Wars. My very, yeah, Tops, the original Star Wars from 77. And then I bought them in uh, the, uh, uh, the Empire Strikes Back. And then um, Return of the Jedi. But those were my very first cards I ever bought. So they were non-sports. Yeah. Uh, transcending uh, or transitioning, I should say, to sports was 7980 Peachy. So that would have been the Gretzky rookie year. So the 7980 Peachy would have been my very first buy for hockey cards. And then all through the 80s and then through the through the 90s. Um I've uh, I've bought cards um, and of all different sports, uh, especially basketball. Uh, so I've done all of that for the most part. Uh, going into the 90s, I would say um, I took over a store uh, by, you know, by some luck and um, also um, a little bit of money. Uh, but um I ended up taking over a store called Sluggers in um, 1990-91. So um, that's been documented. Uh, and to make a long story short, I ended up trading uh, French hockey uh, that I bought three cases of for the store. Really? Uh, the store price was 30000 Yeah. And I lucked into high French hockey, which I bought at seven. i I'll never forget, seven fifty a case. Seven, yeah, seven hundred and fifty dollars per case, and uh, they appreciated to over ten thousand a case. It was really crazy uh, for the first year of ninety ninety one upper deck hockey. Uh, they had the French variation, yeah, and yeah. essentially, yeah. I traded those cases for the store. And so, what's crazy? And I'm I sorry to interrupt you, but what's crazy? No, about no not that at all. Is the cost of those cases these days is like not even yes. close. It's not even close. So. That's, I mean, that's incredible, actually. That's the time value of money. And, um, but it was a lot of money even back then. $750 for a case of hockey cards was a lot of money back in 1990-91. But, um, you know, I had a really good run at the store for 17 years. Uh, I've been doing Expo, uh, the Toronto Card Expo that's uh, coming up uh uh, this week, 20, 20th to the 23rd, uh, since 91. I think maybe I've missed only a couple of shows in that, uh, in that 32, it would be 32 years, 32 year period. I've only missed maybe two or three shows at most. 
Uh, and then, um, you know, my space, if, if we want to get into that part of it, I deal mostly in higher end singles. That's really my space. So if there are big cards that someone is looking for, uh, normally I would stock them or I find them for the various uh, customers that are looking for them, whether they be a, a high-end Jordan rookie, LeBron rookie, or Gretzky, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it could be anybody, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, yeah. uh, you know, that's realistically my space. And uh, I post a lot of stuff on Instagram. Uh, and my Instagram, as you mentioned uh, earlier, is sluggers55. And uh, I would say that I get a lot of different buys and high-end uh, cards. Um, and I do post them on Instagram. Uh, also I do, um, only a few trade shows a year, yeah. uh, namely being, uh, the expo coming and the national. So only the biggest ones, whether they're in the United States or in Canada, I usually do those. So that's where I would say, um, is my space basically those bigger shows. So I have so many questions, actually. The first one is going to be what drove you in 79 to start collecting hockey cards or again was it like i know that there was a lot of hype about gretzky for sure but like why 79 hockey you know like i i i mean i know that you had just been in the hobby for about two years but just and that's the collecting hobby in general the collecting space Uh, but what drew you to 79 i'll tell you exactly what drew me to 79 it was that blue border i just love the look of that 7980 Opeachy set. So that blue border uh, was re- what really attracted, uh, you know, uh, me buying those packs and opening them. I did know who Wayne Gretzky was at the time, uh, but I think there were other players in there that were more notable, but most people did try to obviously get a Gretzky rookie um, at that time. And I didn't know much about Wayne Gretzky, I believe when he did come into the league, I was 10 years old. So I knew a little bit, but I didn't know enough to know that this guy would become, you know, the greatest hockey player yeah. in the history of the game. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't see who could have known that at 10 years no, old. No, right? of course not. Of course not. I mean, and even like we speculate now and we'll we'll get into this upcoming 2023, 2024 Upper Deck Series 1 release where, you know, yeah. some are speculating that Connor Bedard is the next him. Um. And I don't know if they're, they're using Gretzky's name, but they're at the very least saying the next Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby, right? Uh, so there's always right. some sort of speculation, you know, almost like every decade, there's like a new person to speculate on uh, if you go back far enough. So it, it's impossible to have known that like Gretzky would have become what he was. Uh, but I just think it's very interesting. I mean, number one, that like you uh, you started collecting arguably one of the most iconic hockey sets of all time and you know maybe potentially sports card sets of all time um and then not only that but like you don't even really deal too much in hockey anymore like you have you have no hockey cards for sure but that's not like your first you know that's like not your go-to at shows like i mean i've seen you 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 know transact with people and you know what you're looking for from people and i mean generally speaking you're open to like looking at everything but you know, it, it, you're probably more likely to pass on a hockey card versus like a, a basketball or a football card. So I just think it's so interesting that, you know, your story starts with uh, Star Wars and and hockey cards. And it, it just kind of yeah. transitions into into basketball, I mean, predominantly. Um, so that's really cool. I also think it's really cool that, I mean, two pivotal moments in your collecting journey, you know, one being the first hockey card or the first cards you buy and the other being, you know, when you acquired the store, both of them were, you know, is there was like a certain element of luck there, but like that element of luck had completely yeah. changed like your life essentially, you know? That that acquisition of the store changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah. 100%. Uh, you know, um, but I was happy to go there every day. You know, it didn't feel like a job. It didn't feel like I was selling. I just enjoyed speaking to customers. I enjoyed, you know, buying, selling, trading, you know, a, a lot of different things. And uh, I still, too, to this day, you know, uh, I enjoy the sports very much so. 
um, you know, and the reason I would say, I would probably say that uh, 10 years ago, I probably had majority of hockey, but I saw the trend, uh, you know, when I started, you know, going back down again to the national that, you know, it just seemed like everybody wanted, you know, baseball, football, basketball, even soccer more than hockey. So I transitioned out of hockey almost a decade ago. Um, I still acquire big pieces once in a while, but generally you're right. I, I don't, I pass on most hockey cards, to be honest with you, but because you're in Canada, um, hockey is very prevalent and you usually have to carry some sort of inventory. However, I have seen a big change in the last five years where people are now asking me for Ronaldo and Messi and Jordan and LeBron and Kobe and Brady. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Whoever, you know, are the big names in their uh, respective sports. Right. Yeah. And so when you say that people are asking, you mean like predominantly in Canada, like that's that's where the shift you've seen the most is. Yes. Yeah. So they've mm-hmm. gone from like predominantly hockey cards to like and and and, and we see this and, and I've seen this, you know, several times at the expo actually. Like a lot of people think the expo is like just a hockey like a show for hockey cards. And although I would say majority of the cards at the expo are, I, I would say that there's still at least 35, 40% of dealers running like football, basketball, baseball. Yeah. Like, do you know, like you 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 definitely if you come down here looking for any of those three, even soccer, there are some that like predominantly sell soccer. Um, where that that probably wasn't too much of a thing, you know, five years ago. And and so in saying that, I am curious to hear what you have to say about the transition over the last few years, not just from a like what people are looking for perspective, but like how have you seen the the space transform? Let's say from like when you had the shop until now, like what are some of the the biggest adjustments you've had to make? My goodness, technology. Yeah. Technology. I mean, when I first had the store, there was barely any internet. Yeah. Okay. I don't even. I don't even think I had internet. Um, there was uh, no eBay, no social media. There, the only way that you could advertise, I remember specifically, only two form. No, maybe three forms of advertisement. There would be the Beckett magazine. Yeah. Where I would put a business card in. Uh, there would be uh, Sports Collectors Digest, which I would put ads in, and the Hockey News. That's primarily how I sold, um, you know, to advertise. And then people would call you from the U.S. or various parts of Canada. But uh, that was it. I mean, there was really nothing else. I mean, and we're talking 30, 30 years ago and change, right? So I would say that would be the biggest thing, technology. I mean, today, everything is at your fingertips. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I mean, we had to look at a Beckett magazine, you know, and, and that was, you know, the data was probably two months old. You know, everybody wanted to see the arrows up or the arrows down, right? That was what everybody wanted to see in the Beckett yeah. magazine. Yeah. But now, you know, everybody's going to go on apps like Alt or, you know, eBay sold. And um, there's various other uh, apps um, that, you know, you can get what a card is worth in real time, right? Where you had to really look that up. And people are just way more educated today. You know, I mean, I see young kids that just know their stuff and they can just pull up everything in, in you know, on their phone, which, you know, I can too as well. But, you know, I mean, uh, the information is is right there. I mean, with the emergence of things like Facebook and, and Instagram, Obviously, search engines like Google, um, you know, make it a lot easier um, to obtain, you know, information. And that's great. At least, you know, you get an idea of what it is you want to pay and, uh, you know, you can kind of get a fair deal with regards to that. Right. I think as a result of that, it, it, it might. I mean, there's a there's a reason why there's so much more volatility, you know, like with it's almost like with all that power and knowledge comes that volatility now right because like just like you mentioned 
I mean, but the Beckett magazine was what monthly? Monthly, yeah, yeah, right. So like those prices were those prices for a month, basically. Like right, you could correct. argue argue those prices as a dealer or as as a buyer or a seller, right? Like this is the price in the Beckett Beckett magazine. Let's say they're still buying at seventy percent comps or eighty percent comps or whatever whatever the, right. the the margin is, right? But those are the comps for the next month. So you know what you have for the next month. Whereas, correct. I mean, nowadays, a card could drop 20, 30% by the end of the month, 40%, 50% yes. by the end of the month, right? So, um, you know, has, has, has that transition changed the manner in which you buy? So, you know, yes. yeah, well, I, I assume so, right? Because like before, you, you kind of know at least what you have for a month. So you have a month to work with, okay, who am I going to sell this to? Who do I know who wants a, I don't know, let's say an Eric Lindros rookie, you know, like who do I, who do I know that might want an Eric Lindros rookie? And you go through the list and you call the first person, second person, third person messages, you know, like literally call because you can't really message them on anything. <laughs> Send them a letter or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Knock on their door and say, Hey, you want to buy an Eric Lindros? Um, whereas now it's like, if you don't sell that thing before the player gets injured or, you know, something happens, I don't know, let's say outside of the space. And for whatever reason, the card prices just start tanking. Like you're stuck with that at the price that you bought it for, quite frankly. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think I, it was just interesting for me to, you know, hear, you know, wait, having to wait for that Beckett magazine and just kind of like put myself in that perspective and, and, and acknowledge that, you know, that definitely is one of the reasons why there's so much volatility in the space right now. Um, it's, it's just pretty interesting, actually. The volatility has happened actually more so in the last two to three years, the, what I call the COVID bubble. Yeah. Uh, I mean, right at the beginning, uh, things were probably where they were in 2019. And then as 2020 hit, you know, things just started going crazy. You know, uh, with the golden auctions, with PWCC, with all the various auction houses. And I think that there were a lot of cards that were overinflated. I, I really do. And uh, those same cards now have come back to reality. Some have even come to 2019 pricing. Yeah. Where before, you know, they'd gone up like 100, 200, 300 percent, you know. So, um the COVID bubble uh, is quite interesting. Uh, before that, cards would generally, um, they would go up slowly, yeah. depending on the player and, and how they're playing and, and performance and, and you know, championships and yeah. scoring titles and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So um, that would normally happen. And, you know, um, with COVID happening uh, when it did, there were a lot more people that were into it. Uh, a lot more people joined it. And I think that created, um, you know, uh, false pricing, um, a lot of it. Uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, the trading cards will be here uh, in my mind or forever, uh, you know, and you just have to pay accordingly to what they're worth now. I mean, everybody is real realistically about comps. Yeah. I mean, you know, people want to pay within those comps. And I get that. And, and so do most people. And, you know, to come to a fair deal, uh, that's what the information is for. Right. You know, where the buyer and seller can, you know, have a common ground and, you know, hopefully come to a deal. Uh, but uh, there are a lot of people that, uh, you know, maybe they're into a card for a lot more money and they don't want to take the loss. Right. Uh, because they're just not going for or they're not trading for you know, what they were back in, you know, um, 2021. I mean, the prices are crazy from 2021 to, to now. And the drops have been dramatic on, on certain players. Uh, you know, you can, there's a number of, uh, there, there are a number of examples I could use right now. Yeah. But I mean, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find one that's gone up in the last, like, like no. from 20, like 20, let's say 2020 until now. You know, someone who was around in 2020 or a card that was around in 2020. And like, I'm not talking like the ultra high end stuff that like, let's say is like a pop one or pop two or pop three or whatever the case may be. That stuff, 
if it hits the market, I mean, the, the last time it sold was like eight, 10, 12 years ago. So, I mean, naturally the next time it sells is going to be ridiculously high, but on those cards that you see on a regular basis, they're pretty much kind of stabilized again. I think anyway. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, the ones that are extremely rare, like if we're talking high graded vintage. Yeah. Okay. Where, you know, the last sale, you know, might have been a decade ago yeah. or more. I yeah. mean, you know, just take a, a, man, a 52 tops mantle rookie, yeah. for example. You know, what's a PSA 9 worth? You know, at least yeah. 5 million. Yeah. Maybe more. I don't know. Yeah. The next one could go for 10. Well, because it, you know, it, it comes down to the highest PSA bidder in the there's, world. There's just not that many. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it. I think there's, there's three PSA 9s, right? There... I, I'm not sure about the PSA nines. I think there's three. Um, I know that there are three PSA tens, and none are... have ever, none have gone on the market for at least fifteen or twenty years. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, so you know, when one of those goes on the market, well, I mean, what's a PSA ten going to be worth? I, yeah. I don't know. Thirty, forty million dollars? I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I can't tell you, right? But you know, those are rare extremes. I mean, if we're talking modern. That's where most of the volatility is. Yes. Right. Yeah. Or all the volatility, if yeah. you really want to yeah. go there. Right. You know, yeah. whether you're talking, you know, prism or, or anything that's come out in the last three or four years, yeah. you know, things might've gone extremely high and they've dropped like, you know, by more than half. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I would uh, 100% agree with you. So let me ask you a question then. If someone is looking mm -hmm. to navigate the volatility or balance out their volatility you know as someone who has gone through so many different ups and downs in this hobby right you've got you went through that massive run-up in the 90s where you literally sold or traded cases of yeah you know upper deck french for a card shop you know what i mean so you saw that massive like uptick and then what happened afterwards like we see the remnants today right. where they're still on shelves and you know, right. people practically give them away for free. I mean, I think they're like eighty or a hundred dollars a box, if that. Um, There's a lot of junk wax from the '90s, for box. sure. So, yeah. like, having seen all that happen, you know, what would you suggest people do to properly kind of mitigate risk? First of all, I always say this: work within your budget. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if there's something you can afford. And you feel it's a it's a decent price and it's a fair price, go for it. But don't overextend yourself. Don't put out money you can't afford. I see this happen a lot, and somebody will you know buy something that they couldn't afford maybe, uh, and then what happens is you know they really scrape together a lot or they go out and borrow and whatnot, and you know by some by some fate that card drops dramatically and um, then they might be in a situation where they panic sell because they um, you know, they're like, Oh my God, this is dropping. It's going to continue to drop. Let me just sell and get out of it. And then they end up taking a big L right. Uh, that's that, that's the thing. I always, when people come to me and, and ask me, you know, what have you got? I, I kind of always ask them and I, and I do it. Um, I, I, I do it out of respect because, you know, I always believe people should work within their budget. Yeah. Uh, you know, buy what you can afford. And, you know, if it does go down, for example, if it goes up, great. It's always great. If it yeah, goes up. But if it goes down, you're not in a position where, you know, you're forced to sell. Right. You know, you should be happy with what you bought. Uh, keep it for, you know, possibly a long time. For some people, it's about collecting other people. There's. I mean, there's collector versus investor, you know? Yeah. So, and and there will always be that. You know, there's always going to be people who, you know, they'll buy Bowman first chromes of, of, of guys that haven't even, you know, come into Major League Baseball yet. Yeah. But they'll pay crazy amounts of money for prospects. Yeah. And then, you know, assuming two, three years later goes by, uh, some of them could have done really well. And, and, but I can guarantee you most have not. Most have not made the roster and they paid for, you know, very high draft picks that may or may not make the team. And then, then that's where, 
you know, things happen like that where they paid a lot of money up front where now, you know, they're injured or, or something bad has happened. Like, you know, Tatis Jr. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like some scandals occurred and all of a sudden, you know, all these amazing cards you have of the top player have dropped significantly. But again, if you were in a position where you bought it and it dropped a little bit or a lot, then, and it doesn't affect you financially, uh, you know, I would say, you know, keep the card, you know, if it's something that you need to sell, then I understand it. We all need to sell some stuff once in a while, yeah. either to pay for other things or pay for debts. I mean, it happens. It happens yeah, all course. the time. Yeah. You know, how do you get collections unless, you know, eventually people sell, right? So that's my biggest, that's my biggest thing I would say would be, um, you know, buy within your budget, buy within your means. Don't overspend uh, if you can't. I think that's great advice that everyone should take, you know, and and I know that uh, especially in the last little bit, sports cards have been marketed as like an investment as, you know, as this sort of like hedge against inflation to a certain extent, uh, as uh, I, I'm more so like a store of value, right? Like all these things. And and that's great. But, you know, if you overextend and, and it's a store of value and you need liquidity quickly, I mean, there goes your store of value, right? So uh, understanding yeah. that and and also what you're buying, right? Like, are you buying with the intention of this thing going up right now? Or are you buying with this thing uh, or with the intention that this thing is going to go up in five or 10 or 15 years? And I think it's really important what you mentioned where, you know, you buy things that you kind of intend to hold, right? Like if you need right. to, right? So whereas a lot of people, I mean, I had a conversation with someone probably two or three days ago and they asked me like, who am I buying? ahead of the NBA playoffs. And I was like, I mean, I'm not buying to try to make money in the next week right. or two weeks or a month. You know what I mean? Because like realistically, two months, like how long is the playoffs? Two months maximum? Three months yeah. maximum? Like, are you saying that? Like, uh, my, yeah, my, mid-June. My, I mean, usually right? if it goes all the way, it's about close to mid-June. Right? Yeah, and yeah. we're what, April? So like May, June. So let's yeah. say two months. So I'm, I'm months. essentially hedging on like someone, the guy that I buy, not only performing well enough, but his cards also have to follow that same trajectory and I have a two-month window. I was like, man, that's that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And and I guess yeah. it just really brought perspective that like, I mean, there's a lot of people in this space that that buy cards, I mean, essentially like on margin, you know, like that, that yeah. they, they're intending that certain things are going to happen in the next short amount of time that they can squeeze enough out of this that they can turn a profit and then roll that over into something else. And uh, I mean, it's just a kind of dangerous game. I will always say this, and I hope all your listeners listen to this statement. Money can always buy cards. Cards can't necess necessarily buy you money. Yeah. Okay. So that's really important. Okay. Um, you know, uh, investors and collectors, there's always going to be that mix. And, you know, I always say buy what you like, buy who you like. You know, if 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 you like uh, Connor Bedard coming up, you know, um, buy him. You know, a lot of people will be. Uh, but but, if, but how much can you like guy, a guy? How, you know, how much can you like a guy who if you've only seen him play OHL and junior hockey, you know, I and how much of you liking him has to do with everybody else kind of like reaffirming that he's the best and he's he's the next one you know what i mean like and that's kind of like where i'm at where i'm like okay you might like him but like how much do you like him like do you like him enough right. that if he if he broke his leg that you'd still support him you know what i mean is he still going to be the if he doesn't win the calder if he starts off to like has a terrible start to the season like do you still like him because this is a very small sample size for you to say like I am I like this kid I really like this kid I just I wonder how much of you know when people say that I like him or I, I'm backing him or or you know that's my guy or whatever the case may be how much of that has to do with the fact that you know we mentioned social media in the past how much of that has to do with social media and you know every time you turn on the TV for the last three months on a Canadian sports network and they're doing highlights there's like 
literally a Bedard watch, not only of his highlights like in the OHL, but of which team is going to be crappy enough to get the opportunity to draft him. Do you know what I mean? Like, how much of all of this is just marketing? Um, I think very little to do with marketing. Okay. I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Go for it. People always want a shot at the next Connor McDavid or the next Gretzky. They yeah. always want that shot. And people will give Connor Bedard every opportunity to present himself or prove himself rather. Yeah. Right. I, I believe that collectors will buy him simply because he's the next. I mean, if you look at McDavid, actually. OK. And I remember this when the young guns of McDavid came out. OK. They were about $200, okay? And the reason why they weren't more money is, if you remember, just before Upper Deck Hockey came out in 2015, McDavid was injured. That's he, what, broke he broke his, his, broke his Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's why I said if he breaks his leg, right? Because like he, yeah. he didn't even get a real shot at the Calder. He literally got injured no, in his rookie no, year. No, he didn't. He yeah. didn't even, I don't think he qualified for no, it. I think he played like 30 games, I think. 30, he played 30 games yeah. or something. Yeah. But had he played the entire season, he definitely would have run away with it. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. But you can see that people gave him that opportunity. And now he's the best player in the world by far. Not by a little bit, by, by, by far. And people want, they think that Connor Bedard is, is the next one. I mean, there's always going to be people that want the next one. And I just remember when there was Alexis La Lafreniere. You remember like the, the yes. Alexis Lafreniere hype? Like everyone was saying that this kid was going to be like, he was set up so perfectly in New York. And New York won the lottery. They weren't supposed to win a lottery. New York already had a decent team, a decent foundation. They had just drafted Capo Caco the year before, second overall. Yeah. And everyone was banking on Lafreniere is going to tear it up on Broadway. And I remember seeing his young gun selling for like $500 Canadian raw when they first came out. Yep. And I was like, yeah, they did. I was like, who the hell is this kid? What has he done? You know, like, how are we giving this kid the crown already? And he could very well become a pretty good hockey player. But as of right now, I mean, he's like a third or fourth liner on that team. Like, he's just, he has certainly not lived up to the hype. He's not produced anything, anything remotely close to a $500 card. And uh, I'm not no. saying that Connor Bedard's not going to be or is going to be like Alexis Lafreniere, but. You know, we, we're always so quick to crown these kids, right? Like, I, I, I just, I, and again, like, that's why I mentioned, like, I don't know how much of that has to do with marketing. It's going to be based on potential, right? That's really what it comes down to. I mean, the the whole thing is, you know, even if Connor Bedard does half of his production that he's done in the OH, uh, the, uh, is it the OHL? Yeah. Um, or the it's the Western Western Hockey League. He plays for the Regina Pats. Um, so yes, the, Regina the Pats. West, yeah, Western Hockey League. So the Western Hockey League. Um, you know that would be a win in the NHL. The problem is most people cannot duplicate anywhere close to the stats that they that they did in junior. Yeah. You know McDavid might come, uh, might be right there. I mean, with 152 or 153 points, that's amazing. Yeah. Like I never thought I'd see anybody hit that hit that mark, right? So you know, will Bedard be the next Connor McDavid? I don't know. Time will tell. But there are going to be a lot of collectors, a lot of fans who will jump on board and and buy you know his cards, whether they're the Young Guns, SP Authentic, you know the Cup, you know, and, and any of the other products in between, right? Yeah. So they will, you know, they're going to jump on board. There's no doubt about it because generational talent, people just don't want to miss that. People don't want to say they missed Connor McDavid or the next Connor McDavid or the next Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux, how, whoever you want to put in there, right? Yeah. You know, so you can you can bet next year's hockey is going to be a juggernaut. Absolutely. I've got, I mean, he's kind of set up perfectly. Like, I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I mean, we can clearly see the amount of players that scored 100 points this year, the, the amount of players that scored 40 goals this year, I mean, like, they're not exactly the big names. Like, we're talking, like, Carter Verhage, like, uh, McCann. Um, we're talking about, you know, not exactly household names scoring. I mean, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I think he put up 100 points, if I'm not mistaken, or close to yeah. that, right? So, 
I think it's interesting. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we've had, I think we've had two expansion teams in the last 10 years. And every time you bring in an expansion team, you're essentially adding the equivalent of like a new roster into the league of players who otherwise would not have cracked the NHL. Right. So you have people that would not have been playing in the NHL last year or two years ago, if the Kraken didn't exist. Right. Because essentially they need to have 20 more players or 30 more players or however many are on a roster. And so inevitably, I mean, the quality kind of decreases a little bit. And so I think that has to do with that's kind of where that that increased scoring output comes from to a certain extent um, or at least uh, a factor in it. And so, you know, like I previously mentioned, now you have Connor Bedard stepping into that like increased scoring because I remember... Not very long ago, Jamie Benn led the NHL in scoring with like 90, like 90 points or something, or like 97 points. Yes, I remember that year. Right? Like, mm-hmm. it was like, I was like, how has no one cracked 100 points this year? And I think it might might have been as early as like five or six years ago. So not very long ago at all. Taylor Hall. When yeah, he it wasn't MVP, that long ago, but I do remember that he he did win this. Yeah, he did win the scoring title. Ta- Taylor Hall won MVP with something similar as well, right? Like, I don't think he cracked 100 yes. points. Um, no. And that was, I think it was like 2018. So... You know, we've definitely seen that that uptick in scoring. I think that that's a perfect storm for, you know, a guy who's supposed to come in and dominate. Let's talk a little bit about how much do you think his young gun is going to debut for, knowing what we know now, knowing what you've seen happen in the past, knowing kind of where the market is and, uh, you know, maybe any, any other tidbits you want to share. At a minimum? Yeah. At a minimum? Yeah. 500. Yeah. At a minimum. Yeah. I mean, if McDavid was 200, 250, and he was ago. injured. Yeah. Okay. And it's almost, yeah. So 2015, yeah. you're looking eight years ago. Eight years. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, if we're comparing, if we're on a similar compare comparison, yeah. okay, I would say 500 out of the gate. That's, that's what I would say. And, you know... And, you know, if we're talking young guns, we're talking the exclusives, we're talking high gloss. I mean, those are just going to go for, you know, crazy amounts of money, too. Right. Uh, and there will be buyers. Um, you know, I, I, I don't I, I don't foresee less than five hundred dollars. I could be wrong. I mean, it could be more than that or it could be slightly less. But I think the median would be five hundred dollars right off the right off the like out of the gate, because I think that. Hobby boxes, because from what I understand, there's no Connor Bedard is not going to be in series one. I'm told he's going to be in series two. Really? Uh, so hold far, up, hold up, hold up. How do you? How did you know that? Is that? Uh, I a number of people have called me uh, because I was looking to buy a number of cases, right? You know, going in for the, for next season, and everyone that I've spoken to so far has told me that he will be in series two, not in series one. Um, you know, whether or not that makes a huge deal or not, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously series one or series two is going to outsell uh, one, like it's going to sell the, the their opposite. Right? I mean, if you pre-order, um, you're kind of screwed now though. Yes. Like yeah. you're screwed, screwed. You know what I mean? Like, because yes. I know people that were like talking about ordering cases, like everyday people. And so if they yeah. pulled the trigger and they've already because they, they they were worried that they might, I don't know, essentially not get their case or whatever, whatever the case may be, pun intended, um, you know, like the fact that he's debuting in series two, I think is pretty interesting. Especially That's because what I'm it's going to give him time to play in the NHL. Like, I mean, there's going to be Correct. like he's going to have I mean, think about it. Series two right now is releasing playoff time. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he and will have a four season, a full season under his belt when by the time series two comes out. Yeah. But also series two had the first overall Canadian pick as yes. well. Yes. Right. That's correct. Slavkovsky. He wasn't in series yeah. one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know what? In all honesty, I haven't seen any confirmation from Upper Deck, but from the people that I buy cases from and that I buy these products from, this is what they've told me, and they're pretty good. So if he is in Series 2, we're not going to see his young guns uh, maybe a year from now. Like, you hear that, people? You have plenty of time Expo. to stock up. You have plenty of time to, start right. to stack stack your cash if you want to go off on Connor Bedard. You have a whole year to if prepare. If you want to. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I'm told series two. Uh, you know, I, I listen, I myself have on, I'm on the Connor Bedard uh, wagon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I've seen him play. I've watched him play in the WHL. I've watched him. His junior was just amazing. Yeah. I've never seen anybody do in all honesty, I, I, yeah. with the exception of Peter Forsberg, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, but, Jordan Eberle was dominant uh, on the world junior stage as well. Yeah. He was. You know? Yeah. He was. I mean, Connor Bedard would have the record if Forsberg hadn't played Japan and got 10 points in one game. Yeah. Right? That's the yeah. reality. Yeah. You know, so I feel like he played against amazing competition. Uh, he scored crucial goals. Uh, you know, uh, he's right up there with any of the greats that have ever played junior. You know, I mean, how could you how could you discount him against guys like uh, a McDavid or a Crosby, which they don't even have anywhere close to those numbers for junior, yeah. for yeah. for a junior championship, rather. Right. Yeah. World juniors. You know, so you have to you, you have to give this guy some prop. I mean, he's got to be able to duplicate some of that success in the NHL. I mean, could this guy be the next, you know, uh, out of the gate, uh, 50 goal scorer? I don't give him 60, but, you know, maybe 40. You know, it's possible. I don't know. It depends on how much ice time he gets. Uh, it depends on a lot of factors. Depends who he's drafted to, too. Yeah. Right. No, Everybody's agree. got the, everybody is on pins and needles. Yeah. Who's going to get the first overall pick? Yeah. And right now, the the Ducks um, have the, um, the highest probability, the highest percentage, yeah. 25 point something percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, uh, uh, and I, the only downfall in this is that. All the people chasing Connor Bedard won't be chasing anyone else. Yeah. Okay. So um, there's going to be a hit on a lot of the other players uh, because hockey is very top heavy. Okay. So you've got McDavid, which everybody wants, Ovi, you know, Gretzky, you've got, um, you know, Crosby, Matthews. I mean, realistically, that's. That's what most people are chasing, okay? Um, and for good reason. They're the best players, right? Uh, but, you know, when was the last time somebody asked you for Bo Horvat or even David Pasternak? Yeah. Okay? Like, David Pasternak should be right in there. I agree. And, I mean, there's some diehard Boston fans. For Pasternak, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, so next year is going to be even worse. And I say that because... 90% of the people, their funds, their money is going to be going to chase Connor Bedard, leaving no money or very little money for other players for, you know, and it could be within hockey. It could be out of hockey. It doesn't matter, but you're going to get a large percentage that will be chasing Bedard and Bedard only and putting that money towards Bedard. So it leaves very little room. Like, you know, think about it, you know, you, you have a paycheck and, it's a hundred dollars and you're spending 90 <laughs> towards it. That's, that's the reality. Right? I think that's why, so, yeah. I think that's why I, I can't imagine it being $500. I think it's gotta be more like the amount of people oh, that I, that I think are going to just like empty. Like there's people waiting. Like I said, there's people waiting for this guy to debut. There's people who are, are already selling stuff are trying to create liquidity there are people right. who like are moving out of things that, you know, that might already have been up or they're cutting their losses on things and they're just stacking. And not only that, but, you know, I think that the Connor Bedard watch might actually extend past the hockey space. And so you might actually see, especially with the introduction of these one of ones, the one of one young guns, yeah. that chase alone might start to pull people in who chase high-end basketball, football, and baseball. Right. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, because this is the first time where they have, like, a, like a specific thing that they're chasing, right? Like, they, uh, these collectors, they want, like, when they're talking ultra-high-end stuff, they don't really know too much about the high-gloss, but they know Connor Bedard. I mean, they don't know him just yet, but they might. They might have already heard some of the chatter about Connor Bedard. And now all of a sudden there's one of ones that you can, you can hit. I mean, that's probably going to be a six figure card before he ever steps on the ice. I mean, I, it'll never happen I, before he I, steps on the ice, but you know what I mean? Like a one I of one Connor you. Bedard. 
I agree with you. And here's the thing, too. The hobby boxes will probably be out of the gate. Two hundred between two and three hundred dollars. I agree. OK, I agree. hundred percent. I agree with you there. The hobby boxes will be at least two to three hundred dollars. OK, probably the most that they've ever been, you know. So but here's the other thing which I want to give some advice to collectors. I don't think that they necessarily have to just chase him out of the gate. Understand something. If you're only going for the young gun and not the exclusives and not the high gloss, there's going to be a ton of retail released. There's going to be a ton of tins released. There's going to be a ton of uh, the Walmart stuff released. Okay. So there's going to be, if, if anybody is under the impression that upper deck is somehow going to not run the presses. Okay. Uh, they're sadly mistaken. Okay. Now, hobby is always limited, always will be the best stuff, okay? However, the retail and everything else that comes out, you're going to see a lot. There will be a lot of Bedard rookies on the market. However, will you know, with more supply, you know, I wouldn't just rush to go pay the 500 or six, whatever it's going for. Yes. I yeah. would wait until the market settles, right? Yeah. You know, if you want to be one of the first people to get it because you want to be that person and say, I got one great okay fine but the reality is there will be a lot on the market uh there will be no shortage of Connor bedard young guns you can't say the same for sp authentic or the cup that's a different story yeah that's completely different level okay but young guns i've always found this from history the young guns are the most expensive when they first are released like yeah. at an expo Yep. Let's let's coordinate that. They're yep. the most expensive. They're n usually n very many are not. They never go for more than that at that point in time. At the okay? initial release. But yeah, I agree. At the initial release. Most of the time that drops, um, you know, will Connor Bedard beat, you know, uh, you know, beat that? I, I don't know. But I do recommend for collectors to be patient. Okay. Don't go pay crazy stupid money right off the bat okay you know if you want to wait because there will be more supply coming out and you will pay less money that's what i would suggest to the collectors especially the ones that want to throw you know i don't want to say you know throw but you know want to put out you yeah. know 500 plus yeah. dollars right yeah. yeah you know that that would be that would be my suggestion to to the collectors right I, uh, and what's fantastic. also made it very valuable people will put bounties on these one of ones. Yes, 100%. There there are big bounties in the other sports yep. and some of those boxes go for a lot and they're highly sought after because you've got guys like Shine and and other people in the industry saying, you know, we're going to pay this much money for the one of one if you pull it, right? Yeah. Well, even and, even um and was it David Adams Card World did a $250,000 bounty for all the the super short printed uh, like from the top series one release, right? So like, they're like, yeah, we, we've come to accept that like every every set, like a big set anyway, has like some sort of bounty. So I I don't, I agree one hundred percent that there's definitely gonna be a bounty on the Bedard one of one. One hundred percent, there's gonna be a bounty on the one of one, and that's gonna drive interest. And the only place you can get it is hobby. You're not gonna be able to find it in retail. Yep. So, but if you want a plain young gun, people are gonna buy up the retail. You're gonna see. They're going to buy it up. And, uh, you know, I mean, at a chance to get one, I mean, you know, that's uh, that's, you know, that's what I would say uh, for for the collectors. I mean, if they want a cheap way out, um, retail is the best way or or the tins or the fat packs, and blasters. you know, all the variations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Blasters, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, you mentioned the expo. I want to transition into that briefly. Um, so we've got right. the expo coming up as we as we discussed. It's coming up at the end of the, the the week, actually. So from April 20th to the 23rd, you are set up. You have a, a booth for the first time, correct? Uh, well, no, I've had I've had a booth there, but I have two booths. actually. Two booths is what you mentioned. My apologies. Two booths. Two booths. Yeah. 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 This is the second time I've had the two booths, but um, I normally had one. But uh, my inventory grew 
and I had to transition into two booths. This particular, like from now on, I could probably do three in all honesty, but I have to be able to fit it into two, right? And uh, I have one booth that's strictly high end. And then as you go down to the next one, it's more lower end, medium range. I want to try at Expo to um, see all the customers, not just the ones that can afford Uber high end carts, right? So um, I have a lot of medium to low end stuff that I have bought or I've traded for uh, because that's the space that more or less sells. I mean, really the sweet spot for me um, is cards that are 200 to $2,000, okay? As soon as you get above that, um, it's a more difficult sell. Uh, that's actually what I was going to ask. That's actually what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, you know, what the game plan is going into the expo and, you know, how does like what what markets you you find have been, you know, kind of the most uh, liquid. And you're saying um, like from the 200 to 2000 is like, yeah, is, yeah. If we're talking price point, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Because that is what most people can afford. Okay. Um, if we're talking the very, the, and I want to try to carry everything in all sports. So yeah. if you're coming to my table, you're not going to see just like some nice hockey, although I don't have a ton of nice hockey anymore. Yeah. But you will see all the sports, all the goats, all the, you know, all the players from every sport. And that's what I want people to come and see me. I want them to come, you know, you want Mahomes, come and see me. You want Brady, come and see me. You want Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, come and see me. You want Messi, Ronaldo, come and see me, right? You know, but um, can I be honest? If you want vintage hockey, I'm not the person to see, right? Or even some modern day stuff. You know, I have a few, few, you know, really good ones, but generally there are a lot of other people that are an expo that people would go to before me in, in hockey cards, right? So, um, but I try to keep my price point at a level where it's affordable uh, for people. Um, because I know also that it becomes a harder sell uh, if we're talking 2000 Like, as soon, you know, if you start getting to the 5000 or $10,000 yeah. cards, which I have a number of, um, very few people can buy those cards. Like, like your, 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 your customer base is extremely slim, right? And I compare it to a McDavid, for example. And this is the analogy, okay? If you take 10 people that, and you have a Connor McDavid young gun, there's a high probability that every person in that group of 10 can afford a young gun, right? But now let's change that to the cup. Yeah, or even a, now, future watch, a future watch auto, right? Or future even a future watch. watch. Yeah. I was just yeah. going to say, even yeah. even a future watch. Yeah, your your customer base will drop by eighty percent at a minimum, right? Maybe ninety. There might be one, one. I would say one at least, but maybe two people that can afford that. Yeah. So that's where young guns, for example, a McDavid has more liquidity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. because of price point for sure you know it's not easy to sell an spa future watch auto yeah. or a cup rookie it just yeah. it just is not right you know i've had them and uh trust me uh they are not uh they're not an easy sell they really are not a lot of people want them but um very few people can actually buy them well especially right? full, full cash deal too right like that's full cash yeah i, I yeah i, I that's yeah. exactly what i was gonna yeah. say full cash yes yeah. You know, yeah. if there's some trade involved, uh, yeah. you know, usually you can get there. I'm yeah. going to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, you can you can get there. Yeah. Right. But if it's full cash, it, it, it makes it for a more difficult sale. For right? sure. Let me ask you, how does the spring expo differ from the fall expo? So the one that we had in November, how how does the over the years, how, how have they differed for you? Um, I would say the November expo is usually my better of the two. Okay. And the reason being is because hockey has just started. Yeah. And and basketball actually. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So the seasons of those two particular sports 
And then football is on. I mean, we're going to be what, a, you know, a couple months into the season of football. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, baseball is ended uh, at that point. Yeah. So, but you've got about three of the four major sports starting. Okay. And uh, people are into it, you know, um, when it's the whole thing out of sight, out of mind, when things are in sight, then, you know, people are like, yeah, I want to come out there. I want to buy, you know, the, the, the new rookies and in these sports and whatnot. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's definitely more. And then obviously upper deck hockey series one is, uh, you know, a key release at expo. So that tends to drive a lot more people to the show. Right. And, And their promotions. The spring is a little different because we're, we're into playoffs. Uh, football is ended. Uh, you sell a lot of baseball, uh, but it's just it generally doesn't have the same flair uh, as the the fall expo. Uh, I find my sales are you know um, I don't want to say fifty percent, but I'd say seventy five percent of of the of the fall expo. Right? Really? Uh, it just, people just look forward to going to the fall expo more, in my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, on the subject of the Fall Expo, or not, not the Fall Expo, but on the subject of the Expo in general, you will be set up. Um, you have some important things to talk about about your setup. So you wanted to mention some interesting things that will be going on in your booth, uh, as well as telling everyone how they can find you, You know how, how they can reach out if they potentially want to buy or sell. Uh, go for it. So I will be set up at uh, booth 522 and 523. Uh, we are doing hourly draws um, and specifically on Instagram for cards, you know, specific cards on the hour. Uh, we will be giving out uh, Pokemon packs to kids that are 12 and under and uh, some Upper Deck Hockey Series 2 to kids that are 12 and under. Uh, the draws, all you have to do is follow me on Instagram, sluggers 55 if you follow me on Instagram or you show that you're currently following, we're going to give you a ticket. We obviously try to get uh, new followers. So we'll have draws for new followers and current followers. We will also have a main, uh, a big draw, a main draw, which will take place on Monday. Uh, the Monday, I believe it's the 24th on Instagram Live. And we will be drawn for um, a Boba Shett, uh purple refractor, PSA 9. So um, generally, you'll be you'll if you come over to the booth, we'll be giving out lots of freebies uh, to kids, uh, and we will we would love to enter your name uh, into our Instagram uh, as a follower, and love to for you to win some cards. That's uh, that that's really it. Um, I've been looking to uh, grow my Instagram a lot more, and by doing giveaways. Uh, and things of this nature, I've grown it to a very comfortable uh, level, but it can it can always get higher, right? Yeah. I just hit my five thousand uh, follower mark, which I was really happy about. But my goal by the end of the year is to have ten thousand followers, if if I can get there. And you know, with the help of you know the, the this show or or these platforms and this medium, I I definitely want to uh, I definitely want to get there. As for buying and selling, if you've got, you know, I would say more non-hockey, come and see me, okay? Uh, You know, I do trades, I do buys. Uh, People ask me, what do I pay as a percentage? Uh, There are some things I'll pay really high for and some things I will not. I mean, usually I will pay 70 to 90% of comps, depending on what it is. If it's something that um, I can't live without, I'll pay higher right that's 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 the reality of it so a lot of people always ask me okay what are you paying um you know and that that question um that that question vary it's it's a it's variable uh but i try to be as fair as possible and i always say this to people that you know if you come and look in my showcase and you see the type of stuff i carry i pay very well you cannot get the kind of stuff that i have in my showcase by paying nothing so I pay very fair. I pay very well. Uh, and I trade uh, very fairly, depending on what it is you have and what it is you want. That's basically it. Awesome. And I will say I will say again, 
Sluggers55, if you don't already follow me. And you come over to the booth, grab a ticket, show me that you're following, uh, and you'll have a great experience. There you go, everybody. So if you get a chance to hit up the Sports Card Expo, perhaps you, you head over onto uh, Mr. Carlos's booth and check out Sluggers55, and uh, hopefully you can help share some more knowledge and shoot the shit a little bit. Team, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Cardboard Coaches. For now, we are out of here. Peace. Thank you.